Welcome to the 55th episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we discuss murders that intrigue us. I am Cindy. And I'm Mercedes. Thank you for listening to last week's episode, which featured the first Craigslist killer who lured an online nanny to her death. Our show is often horrifying and graphic, and we will use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. Also, we are passionate and always have been about true crime, but we must warn you, sometimes we will make jokes and we will laugh during our podcast. Want to learn more about us? Visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com to find links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. If you like what you hear and you'd like to help us out, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a five-star rating along with a comment. Also, please recommend our podcast to your friends. The more the merrier. Hey girl, what's up? What up, Chica? <laughs> How are you doing? Um, good, good. I don't know. I've been hurting a lot, but you know what? I'm good. I think it's just allergies. They're driving me nuts. Oh, it's been terrible. I told you last week I had that crazy headache. Oh yeah. Yeah. Where, oh, I slept. Not COVID related, huh? Not COVID related. It was totally Good. sinus. It, and it was more like my jaws hurt. Yeah. Like my, and my face ached on both sides and it was so bad that I took a whole Xanax at 10 PM and put a heating pad in my pillow. Oh. So I could get some sleep. I mean, it was, oh, I was miserable. It was well, really bad. And I can't take any sinus medicine. Yeah, probably. You should go take care of that. Oh. I see fine now, but I can't take like sinus medicine or decongestant or anything because of the radiation totally jacked me up forever. And we live, you know, in the sinus capital of the world, pollen capital of the world. Yeah, I have lived in other places. I have a lot of pollen too. We lived in a valley in, in Virginia. I had headaches. Eh? Oh, that's miserable. Oh, no, 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 no. So are you ready for Thanksgiving? Um, you know, yeah, I've got a lot going on that week, but it's going to be somewhat untraditional in that I don't think we're actually having Thanksgiving dinner per se, oh. but we're all going to be together. Like I'm going to be with uh, my oldest son and his family and, Good. um, then we're going to try to go see some of Charlie's family. Yeah. It's just, we're not going to stress over making a great big meal or anything. It's just going to be nice and easy. Good. It should be. Yeah. It should be. Are the boys going with you yep. to see the older? Oh, good. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Good. So I have a question so, for you. Yeah, wait, wait, but we have to put Gigi, we have to put Gigi in the dog kennel. I'm so, so scared. Oh, no. I really am because she's old and she is spoiled rotten. I don't know. I'm oh, so worried. Where are so, you? But, oh, we'll have to discuss where you're Yeah, talking. we'll talk about that later. But yeah, I mean, she's getting um a doggy suite as well, something oh. like that. A doggy so, suite. I mean, she's got like her own room. It's a five by five room, but Hmm. you know, I don't know. Are they going to make her sleep on a hard concrete floor? I just, I don't know. She's so spoiled. She is spoiled. If I had more room or like a backyard, like that was fenced in or whatever. Yeah, I no. Like I mean, it's, she's just, just, you know, dogs. She'd just the, she would jump us. in the canal and be gone. <laughs> no, she wouldn't, but she would definitely be very anxious, you know, is so I think she'll be better with people that know how to handle that anxiety. Right. Yeah. Oh, she'll be fine. So what, what's your question? Okay. So did you, now I'm just jumping right in because this one's a doozy. Yeah, please do. Okay. okay. Did you know that in the 1970s, Santa Cruz, California was known as the murder capital of the world? No, I did not know that. I Santa Cruz, like in gangs, like surfer gangs? Nope. Nope. When I think Santa Cruz, I think Lost Boys. 
I'm thinking like bikers and like uh, like kind of a rugged, but I don't know why I think that. Like like surfer kind of um, like Hell's Angel bikers. Uh, just like a, a harder element, but I'm yeah. you know I don't even know where I'm getting that idea. But you know what I mean when I say yeah. the Lost Boys, the movie, the Lost Boys yeah. that takes uh-huh. place in Santa Cruz. Okay, or in that area. I have yeah. no idea. But Keeper anyway, Sutherland yeah. and all those guys. Yes. Yeah. Best vampire movie ever. Yes. So, yes, it was known as, it was tagged as the murder capital of the world in the okay. 70s. Okay. Ooh. Which we get kind of into as to why. And that's kind of like a, what is it? What do they call that? Like a cultural shift in that area, isn't it? Around that time or no? Well, yes, because we okay. talk about something that kind of is on that word. Okay. There. Okay. Right. I'm just curious. Do you know where it's near? Like, is it near San Diego? Is it it's near-, near San Francisco? It's not far from San Francisco. Okay. So, all right. So are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. For this number. Okay. So John Lindsay, Lenny, John Lenny Frazier was born in Ohio in January, January 26, 1946. So we're a little, you know, he's a little bit older here. So 46, he's older than what my dad would have been. Okay. Well, that's how old, that's the year my mom was born. Okay. Yeah. So he uh, was a high school dropout, led a pretty normal life for the first 23 years of his life. He became, when he dropped out, he uh, earned kind of like a trade. He became a a mechanic, you know, by, he didn't go to like any professional schooling or trade school or anything. He just kind of picked it up and. Okay. Yeah. Then, um, and he even actually got married and I believe he had a child too. Um, but I don't really get into, into the much of that. So, okay. Um, not relevant. It's not really not the child. So, um, one article that I read talked about him getting in a car wreck in the late sixties. And I didn't read anything much about that again, but then at the end, I kind of wrap it back up when we talk about this, that. And it says oh. the early 70s in another article. So I'm not real sure when this car accident truly happened. But apparently he became a religious fanatic after the car accident. Ooh. He spent his days. He lived um, through an awful accident. Yeah. That, yeah. And became a religious fanatic and like would spend his days with the Bible. Okay. Like reading his Bible. But he also believed that the voice of God was talking to him. However... A third article says he flipped out due to drug use. Okay. So by the 1970s, he was abusing LSD and mescaline. Was he schizophrenic by any chance? Well, that does come up later. Okay, because everything I'm reading right now could lead to schizophrenia or be involved with that. Okay. Yes. Okay, so he would lose his marriage. Now, again... You know, we talk about this all the time. Articles say different things. You know, we kind of go back and forth on, well, one said this, one said this. He, his marriage ends, whether he left his wife or the, or the marriage ended because of his drug use is kind of up in the air at the moment per the, per the story and the storyline that I'm giving you. It just says he he would lose his marriage as a result of his drug use. Sure. Um, Whether he ended it or she ended it, we don't know yet. So he began living the counterculture life. That's the word I was trying to come up with, counterculture. Okay. So he started living the counterculture life and became very interested in ecology. Okay. So 
I have here in my notes saying, okay, so um, any idea on what living the counterculture life might be, Mercedes? <laughs> um, you know, sticking it to the man type. Uh, you know, I'm thinking about like Ginsburg and Kerouac and all that. That was okay. from the same era, kind of. And okay. that, that counterculture, like huge drug use, you know, um, anti-war. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so it is the 70s in California. Drugs. Mm -hmm. free love mm -hmm. okay all right so yes that but is ecology where... isn't that ev the environment yes okay yes okay so fraser quit his job told his boss that he refused to contribute to the death cycle of the planet all right so after this I'm with him so far now <laughs> So after this, after this, he quit his job. He ran off to live in a hippie in on hippie communes. Okay, yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> and became interested in the mystical world of tarot cards. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised by any of this. I mean, you know what? I kind of grew up in this age mm -hmm. and saw this. Yeah. So he didn't really. I saw the in. adults like this. Right. Right. So he really didn't fit in with his new little hippie friends, though. So because he was highly paranoid. Wait, is someone throwing dishes? Is that your house or mine? <laughs> My husband's washing dishes. Okay, I'm just curious because I heard that plain as day and I was like, wait, wait, is that my house or your house? <laughs> I know. No, my husband He's making it known to all of our listeners across this great universe that he is right now doing the dishes. Doing the dishes. <laughs> all right. I have evidence <laughs> that he does, in fact, do dishes. Good. <laughs> all right. So Frazier was really paranoid. He was highly paranoid, which didn't really fit in with the lifestyle of his laid-back, carefree lifestyle of his hippy-dippy friend. Because they were not paranoid. They were like, free love. Maybe. Hippy dippy. Did I just hear you say hippy dippy, friends? <laughs> you did. That sounds a little bit like an insult. <laughs> no. He sounds to me like a paranoid schizophrenic. Yeah, he, he does. And the drug use is just making it even more intense. Yeah, I mean, LSD would definitely like alter your everything. All right, so soon he would drift away from his hippie friends as well, and he would become, he would begin to live his own self-styled lifestyle known as Aquarian Age Hermit. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So he would begin, he began living in a cow shed. I don't know. Uh, is that like a barn? I don't know. I, I, it was like very small. It was like six by six or six by 12 or something like that. Mm. All right. So, Living in a cow shed, and I also read that it was, like, not very far, like, on the same land as his mother's trailer. All right. She wants him out of the trailer. Get your own place. Go live in the cow shed. <laughs> live in the cow shed. Uh-huh. I know. That just sounds so depressing. So, I read that he, at this point, this is when he descended into- Girl, I called it. <laughs> yes. He descended into the deep madness of paranoid schizophrenia that that was yes. obvious yes very so this is when the voice of god told him that he needed to kill in order to save the planet or to <sighs> save the environment mm. yeah i know it's kind of sad so fraser would grow his hair long grew a beard became an eco-freak lifestyle is what a neighbor called him or a 
someone who knew him, an acquaintance, said he became, mm-hmm. he was hair long, grew a beard, and became an eco-freak. Then, it is then when he declared that he would no longer drive a vehicle on the orders of the God, God Almighty. I mean, who gives a shit if he drives or not? Like, yeah. But I guess driving hair. a car would just add to the cycle of the killing the mm-hmm. planet. So he alleged, this is what he allegedly said. He said, God told him that by driving his car, he was polluting the environment and he would be killed if he drove anymore. So Frazier lived about a half mile from a very fancy house, little mansion from an ophthalmologist, Victor Ota and his family. I'm not sure. I meant to Google on how to say that name, but I'm pretty sure it's because he's a Japanese American. And I did read an article and then I couldn't find it, of course, that told me a little backstory on him and his, um, like he's a, has a rags to riches story. He was a, you know, maybe like a, his parents were immigrants from Japan and he might've even been born in Japan. I, I don't really remember. And I couldn't find the article again. I wonder if they were involved in the, um, camps, internment, internment camps. Because I'm pretty sure he was born in 1925. Because really the Japanese and California were, I mean, all on the West Coast. Those were all, right. Yeah. That would have been. If he was here in the 40s, I mean, but if he was born here and he immigrated here and, you know, I mean, he was 45 and 70. So he I wonder how many Japanese immigrated like right after the war ended. It feels like there was a lot of his hostility against the Japanese, even well, yeah. even in the seventies, like Archie Bunker and you know all those shows that. Oh well, yeah, I just showed a um, that you know how I I always watch um, this show every year on Veterans Day called Honor Flight. Oh, and I make my my children watch it. So and even in that, in that the guys talk the he's my favorite. His name is Harvey. He's like 95 years old now. He talks about, he was like, when he talks about how that, when they got to Iwo Jima, he says the Japs. And you just don't hear that today. Really? He was like, the Japs opened up and they couldn't miss. And he's crying and you know, but it's like, you know, you just don't hear them say the Japs. And he doesn't say it in a real like negative connotation way, but you know. It's just how, it's just what they call them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Victor um, Ota, or yeah, I think I spelled his name wrong there. Anyway, was 45-year-old successful ophthalmologist, um, well-liked within his community. The family was unaware, however, that Frazier was watching them. Because Frazier lived in his little cow shed. He was like less than like a mile, less than half a mile from being able to see this mansion in this area. So Frazier- So this is, okay, I'm so sorry, go ahead. That's okay. I don't know what I was going to say. Frazier became like super obsessed with the fact that he felt that this um, Ota family was very materialistic. It was just too much for him. He was very consumed by them in general because he, I guess because it's probably one of the only things like he could see in this town and or, like because where he lived and like that was his view was of this lavish man. Victor drove a Rolls Royce. He wore flashy and fancy silk suits and silk scarves every day he wore these like flashy colorful silk scarves and um even once when the family was out Frazier would slip it actually he actually broke into their home all the time but one time he actually stole a pair of binoculars so that he could spy on them and like I said this is just one of the many visits that he broke into the home you know it's the 70s so people weren't as paranoid and worried about break-ins as they are say today I would think 
thanks so um he would even follow the doctor to his office and he actually at one time left a note on the doctor's car but i will come back all right because i'm super curious about that yeah, so obviously the doctor the doctor knows and the family knows that somebody's breaking in or right. is it still like a secret no they have no idea oh my god yeah that's super creepy huh? like ooh. so on the evening of october 19th and i did not do this like pick another october one on purpose it just happened oh were we now looking for months that we should <laughs> No, it's I didn't hard do enough for purpose. me to get the the states all in. I'm not worried about months. Oh. Right. No, I didn't do this on purpose. Yeah. Right. Oh, I know because you did the Halloween one. I yeah. get it. Gotcha. So on the evening of October 19th, 1970, two police officers were kind of patrolling, just patrolling the area, and they noticed smoke coming from so, um, Soquel, Soquel, Soquel Hills. Soquel. I don't know. Soquel. It's Soquel. your word. Yeah, I don't know. Around 8 p.m. So another fancy millionaire home on fire. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they called the local fire department. They were like, hey, we see smoke coming from this area. The fire department responded to 999. I don't know if it's Rodeo Gulch Road or Rodeo. I don't know. So where the fire was racing through the mansion already of Dr. Victor Ota. All right, so the firefighters were first on the scene, but they were blocked by the Rolls Royce at one end of the driveway and a Lincoln Continental at the other end. So they actually were forced to bust the windows out of the Lincoln in order to move the vehicle. So I, I'm assuming they busted the windows out and then just like manhandled it and moved it out of the way so that they could get their trucks in. I imagine it's probably like a, like a semicircle or a half drive, you know? Yeah, and, I'm picturing grass and just driving through grass. Yeah. But, hmm, Okay. So they were forced to move the, bust the windows out of the Lincoln, move the car. They could see that the roof of the mansion was already ablaze. Like it was already well on fire and just booming. There appeared to be no one home. They assumed there was no one home because no one was like running out. It just seemed to be uninhabited is what the article said. And did you say what time of day this was? Oh, it was yeah. a nighttime. Mm -hmm. the evening. It was 8 p.m. So fire oh. chief Ted Pound actually knew that there was a special, like, specially installed fire hydrant in the yard. I guess maybe for these types of um, things because, so that they could use the pool as an extra right. water source. Right. So, so that they could use the lagoon-shaped in-ground pool as an additional water source. The fire hydrant was hidden within all this crazy, like, oriental shrubbery. Mm -hmm. So the fire chief was using his flashlight imagine it's dark he's like searching for it because it's kind of hidden because no one wants to see a fire hydrant in their backyard and he cut the light through the dark darkness and it illuminated the face of a young boy floating in the pool oh i know could you imagine how fucking freaked out that guy must have been so was he alive well he you know he said that it was obvious the boy was not alive the okay. boy but in his mind he's thinking well, was the boy burned did he run to the house and like jump in the pool in order to get some relief didn't know but he said the boy was clearly deceased but he also thought he saw some other dark shapes in the pool as well uh -huh. so his gut told him right away this was not just an arson scene this was not just some random fire there was something else awry here so pound immediately closed off the area closed off the crime scene and called for assistance they would find a total of five bodies in the wow that was wow. really sad according to later reports one body was floating while four 
were found at the at the other end of the pool, at the end of the pool on the bottom. Interesting. I know. Blood was found on the deck. And it actually, and I didn't put it here, but it actually said there was a five inch or five foot stream of blood across the water as well. Like as if it was like floating across the water. Huh. Yeah. How does that I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I believe that. Yeah. I don't know how, I don't, all five victims were bound and blindfolded with colorful silk scarves. Interesting. Mm -hmm. The dead were quickly identified as the homeowner, Victor Ota, 46, his wife, Virginia, 43, his two sons, Derek, 12, Taggart, 11, and his secretary, Dorothy Cadwaddler, 38. Each person, it turned out, had been shot from... Um, from behind with a small caliber gun. Gosh. I know it is awful. And yeah, I, I'm, I can't get over the stream of blood in the pool, like just floating like a stream. Yeah. You that if it was like draining into the pool, but then once you get in the pool, we kind of blend in quickly. I would think so. I mean, Not I don't like know. A, it's just well, weird. Okay. It might've been a little bit of, um, what is that? Uh, what was Dra- it? A drama sensationalism. Yeah. 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 All right. So, however, there were no shell casings found in the area at all. The bodies were quickly removed. The burning home was now obviously a homicide scene and would have been carefully searched for clues, but it was really damaged. So in the meantime, the state arson experts arrived. They found clear evidence. The fire had been delivery set. Da, da, da. No, no shit. So the main part of the expensive home, which was estimated at that time in 1970, anywhere between $250,000 to $300,000, which is $2 million today. Wow. But I guess for an ophthalmologist, that would, you know, $2 million home, that would be pretty nice. I mean, obviously in California, a $2 million home probably isn't, you know, the nicest house on the block, I guess. I, don't, I mean, I don't I know. I guess it's pretty nice. Oh, yeah. So it was totally, it was gutted, the majority of it. And apparently it had started raining during the early morning hours and ruined the crime scene on the So, I mean, well, first off, putting and, off the And really, fire. this was kind of before you know, they really had standardized rules about preserving evidence and stuff, isn't it? That's, uh, yes, I don't know. Uh, yeah. It I mean, on what they're looking for. Obviously DNA wasn't like a real big, you know, right. Thing. Yeah. So, but fingerprints were and hair and that sort of thing. I mean, they were using fingerprint analysis. I mean, you would think that there might be footprints or um, I don't know, mm-hmm. I guess there wouldn't be unless there were, was mud. So the coroner, Doug James determined the family had been bound with those scarves. Like I said, and, but the scarves were from the home. They determined that the scarves belonged to the homeowner. And additionally, in to being bound, Virginia had been gagged. So that leads me to believe she was probably freaking the fuck out. Because her babies yeah. were there. The autopsy- so wait, I mean, wait, okay, so yeah, because we've talked about this before. So they were just basically tied up and then shot in the back and thrown in the pool. Yep. Okay, so I'm trying to think about this here. Did they all walk to the pool and then he told him to get in and then shot him and then he got in and got the, like, are you going to tell me about how this all happened? A little bit, yeah. Um, what, yes. He. All yeah. right, because they're all in the pool and some of them are sunk down. How do you sink mm-hmm. them down? Oh. Don't bodies float? Okay, I'm looking too much into this. <laughs> all right, tell me. Autopsy reports would reveal that Victor was shot twice in the back, once and once under the arm with a 38 caliber pistol, while the others were shot in the back of the neck with um, the killer using a 22 caliber gun. So two different weapons are used. 
And small, you know, they did say small caliber at the beginning. So there was additional evidence that the family members had water in their lungs, meaning that they were alive when they were put. All right. If they were bound, I mean, they drowned. They were shot in the back of the neck, but they probably, I mean, that like, I'm thinking that maybe he lined them up by the pool and shot them and shot them in the. And then just back. picked up the shell casings after that. Yeah. Police believe that there must oh, have that been. That is awful. Yes. Yes. Poor. Oh, I mean, it's awful for adults, but I'm just like, those poor babies are 11 and 12 and just. It's the fear. Oh, I can't. Yeah, I can't. Imagine. And he's probably spouting off some Christian or not Christian, but you know. Some crazy ass fucking crazy shit. Religious spouting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just drug psychosis nonsense. Hey, everybody. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about this week's sponsor, Best Fiends. As you all know, researching criminal cases is my passion, but even I need an occasional break. So when I feel like I need to escape to a simpler world, I always turn to the mobile puzzle game, Best Fiends. If you haven't heard, Best Fiends is a puzzle game that you can play right on your phone. Each level has challenging puzzles that you have to solve, and they actually engage your brain. No worries at all, because this is a casual, relaxing game that anyone can play, and it's really, really fun. See, Best Fiends features these adorable little characters who are tasked with saving Minutia from the slugs who are rampaging across the land, rounding up Best Fiend families, and glooping up the countryside. This is a vibrant and creative world with almost 40 unique fiends in the Best Fiends world. Even better, new fiends are added all the time. This week, I want to tell you about Edward. Edward is an adorable little mosquito whose evolution leads to a powerful, should I say, itchy force to be reckoned with. I love finding a new favorite character to spotlight each month. Best Fiends updates the game monthly with new levels and events, so it never gets old. True crime-loving listeners, join us and the millions of others who love this app. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Well, police initially believe that there had to be more than to pull this off. Yeah, because it's kind of like the one, the Washington, D.C. one that I did with that family and the, and the yeah. nanny. Yep. Um, and the housekeeper. Yeah. Like one guy kill five people. Especially a guy who's opening a, you know, a karate studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you put a gun to a child's head, you're going to, your, your parents are going to do whatever you want them to do. Yeah. And also it was believed that the fire was to attract attention to the murder. Oh, not to cover evidence. Yeah. So I don't know like why they think that yet. So well, it would be interesting because they didn't, he didn't try to burn the bodies or anything. Mm -mm. Nope. So he wasn't trying to hide what he did there. Right. So, um, this murder took place not, not long. Okay. So remember California in the Mm seventies. Yeah. It did not take place too much at too much, um, much longer after the Tate. I know how to say this word. LaBiant? No. Why am I not saying that right? I said it earlier to myself. Anyway, Sharon Tate. Okay. Sharon Tate murders. Right. You know who that is? I do know who that is. Okay. I do. <laughs> I think we've had this conversation about Charles Manson before. And yeah, I mean. A little bit. We've girl, I was about reading about Charles Manson before you knew how to read. No. <laughs> I remember I took a bus to Tampa when I was in high school and I was like scared to death. I was going to see some friends. So I read Helter Skelter. In the event that like someone like, yeah. like I'm reading Helter Skelter, leave me alone. Be scared of me. <laughs> I read all of those books. So th- this is like very much shortly after that. La Bianca. La Bianca. Thank you. I knew that. I knew how to say it. 
And I was like, I'm going to mess this up tomorrow. I know it. But in my head, I could say it. So, so yeah, there's still people are just scared about this and that freaking out. Yeah. So police were looking for, they actually were going through the house looking for scrawled like messages on the wall. You know, right. Like, like pig, pig die, yeah. you know, all of that stuff. Helter skelter spelt incorrectly. Um, right. <laughs> but this was not a Manson murder. So they didn't find any scrawled messages and there didn't appear to be a burglary other than one thing was missing. And what was that? A dark green 1968 Oldsmobile station wagon. Oh, yeah. Okay. The first thing I thought of was my husband's driving a Rolls Royce and I'm driving a motherfucking Oldsmobile station wagon. (laughs) No, because the counterculture decries any kind of display of wealth. But they're not. No, the Oldsmobile was the wife's. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, did the guy steal it who shot them? Yes. So, yeah, that's why he wouldn't steal a Rolls. No, I know. My thing is, is like, why does my husband get to drive a Rolls Royce, but I have to drive a station wagon? Oh, those were, she's a family, she's a soccer mom, and those were state-of-the-art back then. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like your minivans. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Your first minivan. Oh, so, the anyway, had was, one. the station wagon was nowhere to be found. So, they okay. put an APB. They issued an APB for the vehicle and while the police searched for possible suspects, like they started, you know, who would not like these people? Why would someone kill this man and his family? You know, they were just at a loss. So as I stated earlier, Santa Cruz, AKA the murder capital of the world is not far from San Francisco's hate Ashbury. Height Ashbury. Yeah. Right. Capital, hippie capital of the world. So. I named it that. Anyway, so it's not very far. So, and this is exactly, that's exactly the place where, you know, Charles Manson picked up his little murder squad. That's where everything was. Yes. This is also oceanfront, like an oceanfront town that attracted all kinds of walks to life. I mean, you have the rich and famous, and then you have like the less appealing also. And a lot of people, even though there were, you know, rich hippies, poor hippies, you know, people kind of look, they judged them and look down upon them a lot in these types of fancy neighborhoods. So police were debating whether or not they were going to offer a $25,000 reward for information leading to the arrest, but things started to kind of really happen kind of quickly at this point. So they're debating whether they're going to offer a reward. And as I'm stating here, it says, I'm sure I I wrote down, I'm sure that you can imagine the headlines you know, we're very sensationalized at that time. During, did you look up any of the headlines just out yes, of curiosity? I did, okay. I did. One of them. Okay. So during this time, Manson's on the loose along with Ed Kemper and then some other guy that I didn't even, I'd never heard of. Ed Kemper's the co-ed killer mm-hmm. um, who's actually still alive and in prison. Yeah. He's the friendly one that likes to talk. Yes, he is. Yeah. And he is a fucking demented. Yeah. He's the one who like ripped off his mom's head and fucked it. Yes. And he killed his grandmother, right? He killed his mom and his grandmother? Or... Yeah, he killed his grandmother. I think his grandmother and his grandfather when he was like 15 yeah. years old. He burned down and the house. To, yeah, they went to yeah. jail. And he wanted to be a cop and they wouldn't have him. But mm-hmm. that's like he really talked to the cops. Like he wanted to be their friends. Yeah. And then he killed his mom and her friend and fucked his mom's skull. God, After he, he like cut off that with emphasis. <laughs> you didn't see me over here. <laughs> oh my god! I guess maybe one day we should release these videos. <laughs> All right. So Ed Kemper was still running around the co-ed killer. All right. All right. This was a super scary time for California because in in Washington. 
This is when Ted Bundy started to get his role on. Yeah. This is when serial killers really started coming out of the woodwork. This is where they got their name. So the local newspaper, the Centennial, is all I could find. Like, the Centennial had a sensational opening line. The grisly murder of five people has set a fuse burning on long, smoldering tensions in this oceanside city. Well, that sounds like it belongs somewhere in the South. <laughs> I know, right? All right, Smoldering I'm like... tensions. I know, I'm like, what tension? <laughs> well, apparently the locals were not exactly happy with the influx of the hippies to the area. Mm-hmm. Many people deemed the hippies as troublesome they wore their hair long they with unkempt beards in turn yeah they don't shower regularly the long earthy the earthy there you go the long hairs is what they called them were fearful of vigilantes so they were like well hell no the us hippies didn't do this shit one man went as far to say that if the perpetrator turned out to be a hippie then he would shave his beard and get a haircut so that's not hippie behavior no. Murdering five people. No, not at all. I mean, unless you're a Manson. So the mayor of this town pled for the community, please don't panic. Please remain calm. Some were even calling for martial law. You will declare martial law or else. Or else what? But the mayor was oh, like. Was what? Uh, curfew and yeah, all that? I get martial law. I mean, martial law is. Like the police come in and you're not allowed to leave your house. You can. Yeah, like after the hurricane, we were under martial law. We weren't technically. I don't know for 100%, but I thought we were. I know we were under like. Well, we had curfews and stuff, yeah. But martial law is kind of different. Like the town that like that. All right, you continue. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, the town that like Jonathan was in, you know, you will stop. This taint's going to run you over if you don't stop it. You know, we're going to run this red light type thing. Um, so the mayor, the mayor was like, okay, y'all need to calm down easy now that's a little that's a little much a little drastic the husband of the doctor's secretary who was there dorothy he was so fearful that he spent the next night especially in the next couple of nights guarding his home and his children with a loaded weapon of his own he was like totally freaked out he was convinced that um a manson-like cult was going to come get him so the newspaper, I guess, was going to print his address. And he was like, no, the hell you're not. You can't print our address. Uh, you know. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Mar- martial law is military government involving the suspension of ordinary law. Yeah. And we were under, um, after Hurricane Michael, we were under martial law when the National Guard came. Mm-hmm. Like we had those certain hours and stuff that we could be out. But it's definitely um, different everywhere. And for every reason, martial law is called in. Yeah. Because I don't think it was like... Like, because we could still leave our house. It wasn't like, yeah, know, it was just a curfew and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You could be. I guess when yeah. I think martial law, I think like, yeah, but, like, but it's it doesn't have to be that extreme. Yeah, but still, he was yeah. like, okay, calm down. That yeah, it's not quite that bad. So the husband of Dorothy Cattlewadler, he was afraid that some Manson-like cult they were going to come to the house. He was going to kill his family. He was going to finish the job. You know, he was just totally freaked out, which I can imagine that he would be. And he wasn't alone in his fears. People said that the Otals had run off hippie types from his secluded home in the past. Interesting. Yeah. So they kind of wandered up to his home and they just like ran them off. So was it retribution or whatever? But nobody, and here's the thing is no one really knows why Dorothy was at their home. 
because so she worked, wasn't something that she regularly did. No, she worked in the office. She didn't work from his house. And I guess a news outlet originally reported that she was there to babysit the kids, the, the, the boys, while the Otals went out to dinner. But her husband said he totally denied that theory and was like, I have no idea why my wife was, why she got, how she got there, why she got there. Okay, you just front. The Otals also had two daughters. Who were not there. Anna was 18 and Lark Elizabeth was 15. Oh my God, this so parallels the other one that I, I did. I know, I know. So, and that's exactly what I thought when I was like typing this. It's like a jealousy over somebody else's wealth. And mm-hmm. yep. You know, and like, Tana, why do you have this and I don't? Exactly, exactly. So, Tana had just left for New York. <sighs> like, they say that she like literally missed all of this going down by like a very, a very small mark. Hmm. And Lark Elizabeth was away at boarding school. So as soon as I typed that out, I was like, oh my God, it's just like, you know, the DC murders came to mind. Yeah. So both girls were immediately called home to be with their family so that they could attend funerals and that sort of thing. Oh my goodness. Well, the following day on Tuesday, um, October 19th, Virginia's car turned up. So the station wagon was found. Yeah. In the late afternoon, the murderer or the person who had stolen it had driven the car about a hundred feet. And 50 feet into a Rincon tunnel at the Southern Pacific Railroad. So it was like a railroad tunnel. All right. It fired to the seats and fled before a slow moving switch engine smashed into it. Oh man, that's devious. The car was damaged and the engine, but when they got there, the engine was still warm. So authorities knew that the car thief was not very far away. So... What? Where, did, where would someone get an idea like that? I know. I know. So over 200 police officers and firefighters were called in to help search for the murderers while the crime investigators went over the, the car with a fine-tooth comb, trying to search for anything that would lead them to the people who stole the car. The and how far stole. away was the car found from where the murders happened? Not, I don't know an exact approximation, but not too terribly far. So it wasn't that far of a walk, say, to, um, what's his, what's our dude's name again? Frazier. Frazier. Yes. So he could they, they, the media called him the prophet killer, by the way. Reporters learned that a woman had called the police station on Tuesday to report a car parked in Bonnie Dune. I meant to like look up Bonnie Dune, but I have no idea what that is. Well, you know, I'll do that right now. Bonnie Dune. Bonnie Dune. She spotted a woman and two men nearby. They appeared to be in their 20s. All had long hair. One carried an orange backpack. Police arrived very quickly, but the car had already been moved. Nearby were the remains of a campsite. So as they were investigating this campsite, then a call came in. The car had been seen heading down Highway 9. But before anyone could respond to that call, police learned about the train accident. So So Bonnie Dune is a... it's it's like a little town right there in santa cruz county so okay Okay. you know it's on a beach so you know just a little town so no more than a half an hour had passed between the first and the last report so people were all over this like i saw the car i saw the car and um within 30 minutes of the first and last reports you know they'd seen it three times they'd received three calls all right so my question is so our profit killer, does he have followers? So it is more than one person? Oh, so it could be kind of a Manson-esque type. 
It could be, but let's find out. They were sure they could catch the perpetrators because they knew they weren't very far away. If, if, if the first and last call, if they saw the car within 30 minutes, three times, they were sure that they would be able to find them fairly quickly. As police searched the San Lorenzo Valley, residents huddled behind locked doors. Here's some of that sensational writing for you. Ready to shoot at anything that walks. <laughs> Deputies. Oh, it's just interesting because that sounds like something that you would hear in the, in the South. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm going to shoot anything that walks. You know, oh. they come in my neighborhood. You know, you could put this situation in the South and people would expect that, but you don't, you don't really expect people to have that attitude, you know, in California. Unless you have Charles Manson on the loose. <laughs> And the co-ed killer and this Herbert, somebody, other guy that I've never heard of. So police, as, um, you know, all of this is going on, deputies checked dozens of people throughout the night. When it got too dark to see the rugged valley, the search, you know, was obviously called off. Okay, well, we're going to, we're going to come back in the morning and figure out what's going on. The three mystery hippies were never caught up with. The woman and the two men, they All never right. saw these people again or heard from anything. So around the area, gun sales, are you ready for this? Gun sales jumped that day. One store, one store reported a 500% rise. People were freaked the fuck out. Could you imagine if that shit happened today? They would run out of guns. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's, it was no different then than it is today. It's obviously. more wide known, more like widespread and like the media. That's why I said earlier, like, thanks social media, because now we know everything instantaneously. So with the rampaging of the hippies on the, the rampaging hippies on the loose, who might be anywhere, perhaps planning yet another massacre. This is like the crazy, like storylines that they've, you know, I can just, I can just see it now. Totally freaking people. What do, what do we call that? Fear mongering? That's yeah. what we've been talking about lately, all the fear mongering. All right. So a white van, which had been spotted on the same road that the victims lived on around the time of the fire was impounded for evidence. So, I mean, they were not sparing any expense. They were, you know, these were well-to-do people. They were like this, you know, they weren't letting this the whole family it's a perfect family perfect nuclear you know successful 2.5 kids 2.3 cars you know yeah. yeah all right mercedes i really hate to do it but i think this is going to be a great place for us to go ahead and end for the evening and i hope that everybody has a wonderful thanksgiving and will join us next week for episode two or part two, rather, of The Killer Prophet. Well, thank you, Cindy, and thank you to all of our listeners. Thanks for listening to this week's murder. We do appreciate sharing our passion with you, and we always, always thank you for your support. If you want to support us even further, please consider subscribing to our podcast and giving us a five-star rating with a comment. Your subscription and ratings are essential to our success, but I also want to just say that, you know, we really would appreciate your feedback and if you have some sort of like constructive criticism, you know, let us know, shoot us an email, please give us, an, shoot us an email, give us some feedback on how we can make ourselves more professional. Um, and you can definitely do that by emailing us at a true crime podcast at gmail.com. Um, but you can also find more information, links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages at our website at it wasn't me true crime.com. Yes. Thank you. We're so very grateful to spend our time together and share our murder stories. Thank you so much for your support. Please recommend It Wasn't Me to your true crime loving friends and family. Also, thank you to our Patreon supporters. You are the extra. You too can become one of our beloved patrons by signing up at patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. 
Thanks again, guys. And remember, it wasn't me. me.